and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where our long summer doldrums is almost over. Less than a week until spa's testing uh, practices start. Yes, that's it. That works. <laughs> it's been so long, I forgot the vocabulary. <laughs> you forgot the order. You don't remember how it works now? Yeah, I don't. Race weekends. I, I don't, don't. Don't worry. Just watch one uh, episode of NBC Sports' coverage. You'll get it all explained to you. And since we're going to be in spa, they will remind you that in the Arden Forest, sometimes it is raining on one part of the, dra- of the track and sunny on the other. You know, that phenomenon happens in southeast Florida every day of the summer. It happens in a lot of places. Yeah. But Lee Diffie is fascinated by it. Kind of want to take him to like where I grew up in Florida and show him <laughs> that it would rain on one side of the street but not be raining on the other side of the street. Yeah. But, you know, coming into spot, we've got a little bit of Formula One news. Not a whole lot. So, uh, you know, if this you're one of those folks who only wants to hear us talk about Formula One, you'll get an early dismissal. <laughs> okay. But, you know, to start off with this week, you know, in that, We've got to find filler. We've got to find things to talk about. Somebody went to McLaren and said, hey, um, so if this whole Honda thing doesn't work out, what next? Which, you know, makes a whole lot of sense when they're not even through the first, as much as they're doing really bad, but they're not even through the first year. And Hey, let's start asking what happens when you're ready to dump Honda. (laughs) Well, the reality is they don't have a backup plan. Well, why would they, though? I mean, right now, why would you be turning around and going, as bad as this partnership is going right now, why would you be turning around and going, yeah, you know, if if Honda decides that, you know, screw it, we're going to walk away, um, we're going to go with, oh, I don't know. Well, even if they had a backup plan in their little minds, like, okay, if this doesn't work out, we'll buy Mercedes engines or something like that, they're not going to announce it because Mercedes will jack the price up on them. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so that qualifies as dumbest question of the week. Um, not spa news, but Singapore news. Okay. Force India in their stage deployment of their car. That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> it's the best way to explain it. They didn't want to. They, they didn't want to. They didn't want to peak too soon, so they're staging these upgrades. You know. They're worried about staging the rollout of that 2015 car. You didn't want to do, do too good at the beginning of the season, so. Well, you know what it reminds me of. Do you remember that old Johnny Cash song, where it's a story Boy named song? Sue? No, I don't know how that fits. No, no. <laughs> it's a, it's an old story song about he's working in a car factory and he realized how small some of the the pieces were and so every day in his lunchbox he'd take a piece of the car home with him was that a johnny cat i mean that's just a general leg- legend from the various auto factories that somebody has done that but i don't remember if it was a johnny cash song i could be wrong it's a song okay it is a song. I believe Johnny Cash sung it. Back, it, I'm not talking about a legend because the the line in it is, "I have a 54, 55, 56, 57, 58 caddy." Okay, yeah, I, I remember that part. But that, I mean, that's a story that's rumor has been going around for years upon years that various workers at auto plants have smuggled bits and pieces out to build themselves their own car. Right. And the the story in the song about, you know, one side's got the big fin on it and the other side doesn't because of the model changes, that kind of a thing. That's every time we talk about Force India and their staged rollout, I have that chorus running through my head of we're going to get to the track one day and we're going to find one part of their wing (laughs) really high and one part of their wing really low. (laughs) That's the medium downforce car. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, to be fair, this was how Formula One worked many, many, many years ago. You used to go and start off the season with last year's car, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't introduce the current season's car until a couple of races in. You'd worked out some of the kinks and some of the bugs, and you'd gotten it nailed down, and you ran that car through the remainder of the season, continued to upgrade it and troubleshoot it and bug shoot it, and... 
the following season, the first couple of races, you'd run last year's car. We're not there anymore, though. <laughs> well, the reality is, in today's Formula One, when we get really good and honest about it, there isn't really a last year's car and a this year's car. It's much more <laughs> of a, this is the car we have built for Spa. This is the car we are building for Monza. And they are, in essence, and if you listen to the the TV show, um, the returning, the Mercedes one, where it's returning to the... Oh, on NBC Sports, their yeah. race return to the championship or something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that. They talk about the fact that every single car at every single race is a prototype. Yes, it's a prototype, but this, the basic premise of the car and the function... And how the arrow works stays the same unless there is a major rule change. Mm-hmm. Typically, forcing because if you remember, good old Bob Fernley turned around when Marusha wanted to or Madame Marusha wanted to get that waiver so that they could run the 2014 car this year. Bob Fernley came out and said, "No, no, 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 we can't let them do that. That's not fair. why would you develop cars if that was the, the rules have changed and they need to comply to the rules and move on." And never mind that they did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Which, do you remember the reason why Force India's development schedule w- was delayed? Why Bob Fernley came out and said that they were delayed? Why? He blamed it on Caterham. It was all Caterham's fault. <laughs> okay. His argument was Caterham had booked the wind, because um, Force India doesn't have their own wind tunnel. Mm-hmm. They used, I want to say it was Toyota's wind tunnel in Germany. Caterham had booked the wind tunnel. Oh, and they and couldn't use it. And while the whole thing was being dealt with regarding Caterham's finances and all of that money, Force India couldn't get into the wind tunnel. So it's Force it's uh It's it's Caterham's fault that Force India couldn't test their car. So if Caterham had not had financial difficulty, and had taken their wind tunnel slot as they had planned, Force India still wouldn't have been able to be in the wind tunnel at the same time. Well, I think part of it was the slot because they could have gotten some time as in conjunction with it. But there was concern about money and people getting paid. And, well, if Caterham couldn't pay, how do we know you idiots are going to pay? And, yeah. Well, that's a good question. I mean, Force India does tend to have run on that knife's edge of money. Force India very clearly runs on a knife edge of money. And as much as they claim otherwise, it's very clear. And Vijay Malia is in and out of court repeatedly over his financial dealings in India. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. Oh, I was wondering if you wanted to throw out one of your stories. Oh. Well, we were just talking about Honda. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they're going to make some huge upgrades for Spa. Are they going to turn the power up on the engine? Oh, well, wait, no, maybe not. Apparently, <laughs> and this is the line that I love most, they are eyeing a big step forward. Well, they've already had both cars finish a race and finish in the points, mainly because everybody else broke down. Mm-hmm. So what would be the next big step forward? Because there's no way they're going to end up on a podium. And again, this is Spa. This is a power track. With a car that is incredibly down on power. Well, they are. They are. Um, let me start with: they have admitted that there is a fine line between success and failure. Yeah, but either the, you succeed or you fail. We got that. <laughs> it's not so much a flat, fine line as a black and white answer. Yeah. Um, but from the power unit side, they are confirming that they are going to step up the power output. And right now, <laughs> they are also before. expecting a reliability increase. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're concerned about um, the traction and the, with the tires and the gearing to be able to handle the power. So basically, what they're telling me is that the McLaren chassis cannot handle the power of the Honda engine. Is a few good men all over the all over again. You can't handle my power, so we have to turn it down on you, and you have to finish last. 
and McLaren is just going, just give us a damn engine that works already. <laughs> really? We'll figure out the other bits. Just make the engine work. Yeah. Speaking of Honda. Yes. Honda reserve driver, Kevin Magnuson, has come out and said that there is no way, no way, I tell you, he will not be driving in 2016. Well, he has a driver's license. He's perfectly (laughs) capable of driving. I believe his quote is that there is no way in hell that he will not be driving, that he will spend another year on the bench. Um, what he's actually targeting is to get, if he cannot get a Formula One seat, um, he is actually targeting to get over into IndyCar. Mm. Um, and apparently he was working on getting something lined up for IndyCar for 2015. However, when Fernando had his, his accident and Kevin needed to step in, that then shifted his attention away from, as he put it, getting the budget mm. to get into IndyCar. Ah. But he is recognizing that um, being a reserve driver, and we'll talk a little about reserve drivers later, but being a reserve driver is not necessarily helping him. Yeah. Because, well, he's not in the car enough. He's not in the car at all. You know, speaking of reserve drivers, actually, we'll talk about it now. Okay. Um, Autosport took a look at reserve drivers and whether or not you know what the benefit is whether or not there is a benefit to letting yourself shift over and become that number 3 driver okay and how, whether or not that helps whether that's good for somebody's career whether that's a demotion whether or not it's you know it helps move things forward and the general answer they came up with was it depends wow well the thing is, there's nothing in the rules that um, defines what a reserve driver's role is. Okay. And we have seen, especially the reserve and the test drivers, how each team handles it is very different. Uh, one of the things that they talk about is you look back at 2013, and Lotus had a reserve driver signed up. It was part of, his pro- part of their program. And instead of actually letting him drive when Kimmy walked away from the team and quit two races, two or three races left in a season. Oh, he had back problems. Okay, he had back problems. <laughs> he still, he, he ended his season two races early. They didn't go with their reserve driver. They brought in Heike Kovalainen. Right. Which makes you wonder why. Well, their argument was this was a driver who knew the car. And, well, who knew for, who had experience in Formula One, where their reserve driver didn't. He was a GP2 driver. But then why was he a reserve driver? Excellent question. Also take a look at Williams and their situation. Mm-hmm. You know, when Valtteri couldn't uh, race in Australia, Williams stood up and said, uh, yeah, we don't really have a reserve driver. We might want to figure that out. And instead of going and promoting their two test and development drivers who have significant time in the cars, just not race time, they instead picked up Adrian Sutil. Hmm. Again, with that idea of Sutil has recent Formula One experience. So he would be better suited to bring the team forward. But yet, they handicapped themselves by running a race without a driver. Well, they they hadn't signed Sutil at the time. Right. But instead of having the ability to run one of their two test drivers, Mm -hmm. they they walked away from whatever the potential of those points could have been. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, it's an odd decision. Um, You know, we've seen Kevin Magnuson, who did get the call to sit in for Fernando during Australia. Mm-hmm. However, that's the only driving he's done for McLaren. All of the other testing, test driving that's been done, if it hasn't been done by Fernando or Jensen, they've brought up uh, Pascal Werland, who yeah. also happens to be uh, the reserve driver for Force India. It's so weird. It, it, it's very odd. 
so then the question becomes, well, then why do you sign on to do this? I mean, you have Adrian Sutil, who is technically the Williams reserve driver, but he has not driven to Williams at all. Mm-hmm. However, Susie Wolf and her, they've got two test and development drivers over there. Neither one of, you know, both of them have, have done practices and they've done the test sessions, but they haven't actually gotten any race experience. The thought being is that if you're somebody like Adrian Sutil or some of these other drivers who have just come out or, or have just lost a Formula One seat, by getting that number three position, you are keeping your name out there and in front of the teams and out in the paddock that, hey, I've got my super license. I have experience. I, kn- I do know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So if you have an opening, call me. Yeah, call me. me. (laughs) Yeah, but by the same time, I think it's almost like you get permanently benched. It can be. Now, there's talk, though, that, you know, Esteban Gutierrez, who is one of the, well, I think actually he's one of four number threes over at Ferrari. There's several of them, Mm -hmm. but he is one of Ferrari's number threes. He is on the shortlist for Haas. He is on the shortlist for Haas. And part of the reason why they say he's on the shortlist for Haas is because he's in the Ferrari development program. He's in the Ferrari driver program, and Ferrari thinks well enough of him that even though they're not giving him a primary seat, he has a position in the program. Well, that and Haas has a fairly unique relationship. Mm-hmm. because they are buying all of their parts that they can buy. They're buying from Ferrari. Right. They've already said that. And because they're going to basically become the Toro Rosso of Ferrari, in, in reality, that's what they're going to be, mm-hmm. they are partnering with Ferrari to use those seats to further develop the development drivers. So that's why we are looking at Ferrari's development drivers to actually get the call into F1 at that low end in Haas. Well, you know, it's also it's this idea of using Haas the same way that uh, Red Bull uses Toro Rosso. Haas is going to become yeah. Ferrari's Toro Rosso. That's, that's what it's going to happen. Um, while we're talking about Haas for just a minute, they have narrowed their list down to five drivers. They're not announcing all five drivers, five potential drivers. They're not announcing all five yet, but the two top names that keep swirling around is Esteban Gutierrez and Alexander Rossi. Um, Who is an American. Yes. So keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, he was supposed to run last year. For one, of th- I think he was supposed to test for one of the teams last year, and had that pulled out from underneath him. Mm. Um, I don't remember whether it was Caterham w- that was supposed to run him before they went belly up, or Marussia that was supposed to run him before he went belly up. But he was supposed to drive for one of them in some testing, and that fell through. Interesting. Now, Mercedes has come out and said that, uh, yeah, we've taken a look at this whole start situation, which is in Toto Wolf and Nikki Lauda's words, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like pulling out the clip just for the one unacceptable, but it was <laughs> unacceptable. Um, so they have investigated, they have taken a look at it. And what Toto has come out and said is that in Hungary, you could see the whole right side of the grid did not move forward at the start, whereas Vettel and Raikkonen in P3 and P5 made great starts. So that was maybe the circumstance. Another influence was the aborted start, which made us overheat Lewis's clutch and therefore impacted his start performance. But he said there's no one reason why their starts the last two races were so bad. Well, I, 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 I read quite a bit of Toto's comments about the fact that there's no one reason, um, there's multiple causes and all of that kind of stuff. And it sounds a lot like waffling, but everything that sounds credible to me Sounds like they started them practicing the unassisted starts. I think they probably did. And I think that that's what hurt them on the last two races was that they've been practicing the unassisted. Um, So I would hope that we will see a different start for Lewis and Nico in Spa. Well, you know, the whole new, we've said this for the last couple of weeks, this whole new system with the clutches could really especially the next 
three races could really send some turmoil. Certainly. Because who knows how this is going to shake out. Some of the folks who have absolutely no idea how this is going to shake out is Sauber. Because Sauber is the only team on the grid, and I didn't know this, and I wouldn't have even thought this, but they are the only team on the grid that does not have their own simulator. They don't have a simulator, which means they have no way of trying to simulate these starts and having their guys work out how these starts are going to work. How are they getting practice without having their own simulator? Are they playing Formula One on the Xbox? Well, I would think at least you could do that. You know, get the Xbox One, get the new Formula One video game, and one of the nice Thrustmaster wheels and, and with the pedal sets, and they could at least do that. I mean, we know that Lewis has practiced for races doing that. Yes. So I, I don't understand why at least Sauber doesn't have that. And they don't have a boffin that could, like, retrofit one of their actual wheels onto that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going on there. But that it, it seems odd that of all the teams to come out and say, yeah, we don't have a simulator to play with, it would be them and not say, oh, I don't know, Madame Marusha, who already liquidated half their assets before they came back. Well, maybe they haven't told us that they don't have a simulator yet. I mean, it is entirely possible that they're just not sharing that piece of information. No, Autosport's, Autosport comes out and says in their article where they talk to, to Nasser that Sauber is the only team that does not have a simulator. Hmm. It's on their wish list. So maybe Santa will bring it to them in the off season. <laughs> well, it depends on if Santa I... Bernie. Santa Bernie. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! So many, so many statements, all crashing in my head at the same time. Perhaps Santa would have been more generous to Sauber if Kettleborn had not tried to sign three drivers to two seats. Well, you know, at the time last Christmas, we didn't know that she had done that boneheaded <laughs> move. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so in our just general silliness, Lotus has already stated that they will make no announcements about their future in Spa this coming weekend. Okay, that maybe that's because Renault said that they were going to make an announcement in sep- they, they were planning on making a decision in September and we're not in September yet. Well, I'm, they I'm are, just throwing that out there. They are projecting that there will be, and I quote, all kinds of waffle about the will they, won't they with Lotus. Of course, this does not stop F1 Supremo Bernie of Bad Hair Bernie's Eccleston from coming out and saying that he would like Renault to have their own team or take over Lotus. And I think that makes sense. But Bernie also goes on. Bernie's given a little more insight as to what's happening here. Um, Bernie came out and said that what Renault really wants in order to make this deal happen and what they're negotiating is they do not want to be responsible for all the debt that Lotus and Jenny I Capital took on. Oh. And... They are trying to, at the very least, negotiate some sort of deal revolving around that debt load. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, I agree. It makes sense for Lotus. If Lotus wants to turn around and say that they are, they have this credible presence in motorsport and that they are a great Formula One presence, and they have been, that maybe, just maybe, your works team shouldn't be Infinity Red Bull Racing. Right. I know Infinity's a partner. But maybe, just maybe, it shouldn't be Infinity. It should be a Renault something. Yeah. I think it it definitely makes some sense. Hey, speaking of Lotus, Pastor Maldonado... Our favorite! ...has come out and said that criticism is now a part of his life. Oh, really? He's use, he's getting used to the criticism? Now, you know, I don't understand why anybody would want to criticize Pastor Maldonado. You know, of the 86 races that he has started, he has finished in the points on just 
10 occasions. 10. So I, you know, I, 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 I don't see how anybody feels that that's, oh, I don't know, laughable? <laughs> questionable apparently he has started to feel that his reputation is and i quote unfairly tarnished by people who are quick to blame him for any racing incident that he is involved in it's never his fault though never i go back to my dear friend tight pants david cothard (laughs) who came out and do you need me to play that clip well, I can summarize and if you want me to. Well, you can do that while I pull it up. We, we talked about it two weeks ago. Yes, that he was telling the story that towards the end of his career, he was involved in several penalties. And he kept coming out and saying, well, you know, well, it was this and well, it was this. and, well. and it, I don't know why that nutter keeps hitting me. Yeah. what's it? And then it dawned on him because Cothard's, tight pants are more mature than Pastor Maldonado, um, that there is a common denominator in all of those things, Well, all those incidents. He, he, here's the sound again. You know, I found myself in a situation at the end of my career in 2008. I kept getting involved in little incidents and thinking, why is that nutter do that? Why did that nutter do that? After about five or six races, I went, actually, there's a common denominator here. You? Uh, you know, so uh, there's a point where you have to look at yourself. Yeah. You can't, it takes two to tango, of course. And, you know, I take you know, and, and value uh, Alan's opinion on that. But, you know, Pastor has had a lot of incidents. And you can't just say that, you know, the stewards <laughs> were allowing us to be more open in the past. So, yeah, I think that sums it up nicely. At some point, there has to be the introspection. You've got to look at it, and you can't keep going, it's everybody else's fault. Now, granted, we're what? Four years into Pastor's career at this, F1 career at this point, and we haven't had that introspection yet? Well, yeah, but he's only finished 10 races. (laughs) I mean, in the grand scheme of things, he has not finished an entire— No, finished— point in the points okay then he is not finished in the points for an entire season in four years yeah Uh, he it it is not going to dawn on him and we know it's not going to dawn on him because remember the way pastor drives with his balls (laughs) you know you think if he drove with his balls he'd be a little more careful no i I think that because you know of the location and eyeballs yeah it doesn't work well yeah no it doesn't okay moving on (laughs) out of the pants of anybody in formula one so i only have one more formula one story what else do you have oh i have bunches here um first have you been following the f1 dream teams Dream teams. Okay, so FormulaOne.com wanted to make the off season a little bit more exciting, so they went around and interviewed a bunch of people as to what their dream team would be, and they had to pick four elements: the two drivers, the car, and the team boss. Okay. Did any of them choose Pastor? No. Oh. No. Okay. No, I. Okay, I can see that. So, <laughs> Senna is apparently on a bunch of dream teams. Of course. Of course. I bet you Nigel Mansell's on a bunch. Uh, Mansell was on quite a few also. The uh, the team boss, and I have a feeling that this is a little kissing up. Frank? Bernie. Bernie. My understanding is that Bern- when, when Bernie was running a team, he was pretty dang bad at it. Yeah, well, apparently there's a lot of people out there that think Bernie should be running the dream team. Um, my favorite combination was the Ayrton Senna Alonso uh, combination. Okay. I forget what. Oh, and they needed to be driving a Honda with Bernie uh, managing the team. I'm assuming that's an, an 90s era McLaren Honda yeah. and not. The current one. Yeah. Yeah, no. Or but, when Honda was a works team. But if you follow the Twitter hashtag F1 Dream Teams, you could see all of them, and they're rolling them out much like the Force India car in stages. <laughs> Don't want to peek too soon. <laughs> so Lewis Hamilton's was one of the first one. I, I know we all know, as if we couldn't have guessed, part of his dream team, of course, was Ayrton Senna. Um, so that was just that little tidbit um quick question do you know how some of our favorite drivers have spent their breaks um lewis we spoke about last 
last week was he got a new scooter down in, in Barbados. Well, he tweeted that um, him playing guitar and with the message where I want to be. I saw people, that. Yeah, people okay. are uh, speculating on what that all means. Um, he also did some boxing while on break. And um, the other favorite driver that we like to follow. Okay. I like to follow Will Stevens. Okay. He was in New York. What was he doing in New York? I have no idea, but he tweeted. <laughs> he took in a, a baseball game and did a lot of touristy things in New York. And he tweeted um, as he had a picture taken from the airplane as he was headed back. See you later, New York. It's been fun until next time. Okay. I, I You didn't want to know what they did on their summer vacation? These are the hard-hitting news stories you get during the summer break. Yeah, that's true. Jacques Villeneuve is joined has joined the Formula E team. He's been involved with for, or his his son I think was driving Formula E last year, but he he's had some involvement. The family's had some involvement last year. Well, he is um he has joined the ranks and is the reason is quote I'm a racer and he wants to be involved in a series where the cars are developing faster. Okay. Um, speaking of development, the strategy group has challenged the technical chiefs of Formula One to make over increasing over overtaking opportunities. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't really know what to make of it. There's also been a push for them to finalize the 2017 rules already um, with already the talk of if these are not in place by March of next year, they're not happening. Yeah, pretty much. Um and Paul Hembry of Pirelli has admitted publicly that they took a very conservative line on the tires this year because after years of the bad press of the high deg tires. Um, so. Yeah, see, that just goes back to the why would you want to go and get involved in Formula One? I know. Because all you're going to do, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You do what Formula One wants, and you get get put on these high-deg tires, and they beat you up because all of a sudden now they're too high-deg, and the tires are exploding, or there's too many pit stops, and we can't keep track of it. Or you go with the, the harder tires, and, oh, it's boring. There's not enough pit stops. Well, Formula One, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. Um, Hardly the pinnacle of auto racing it's now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Paul Henry also came out and said that um, he could fund an entire F1 team for his budget at Pirelli. That, so, that doesn't surprise me, but you've also got to keep in mind that they're not just a supplier, but they're also an advertiser. Mm -hmm. So they've got all those advertising rights. They pay for those Pirelli logos that are splattered all over every single track that they go to, in addition to doing all the work that they do for the tires and all the technical pieces that go along with that. And then all the hospitality and other junk that they have to do. You don't think some of that advertising is rolled into supplying the tires? It No, they've come out and they have said they are not just a supplier. They are also an advertiser. Oh, wow. So they they have that lockout because they have bought it. Mm. All right. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something that is so conducive to radio. I'm going to show you a picture. But if you are not following Twitter to follow Felipe Massa... You are missing the cutest picture of three <laughs> generations of masses. Apparently, it was Brazil's Father's Day, and he uh, tweeted a selfie of himself, his father, and his son, who I have to say is adorable. Well, I, I'm thinking Felipe is going to stop letting young Philippe <laughs> uh, appear with him on the interviews because it's always a oh he he's always a bit show. of a showstopper. He steals the show, but you know. If you would remember, and you have promised to do this many times in the past and not bothered to. I should But if you would it. remember, you would post it over to the Facebook page at a minimum. I will do my best. Which means don't expect to see it there. If it does, make sure you comment and like. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got a few little, little tidbits of things that happened sort of outside of F1. Okay. Um... F1 former driver Martin Brundle has helped design the largest ever Skelectrix track. That's slot cars. Well, well, he did that 
it, this actually was, was part of the run-up to this year's season. Sky, Sky did that, and, and we didn't really talk about it because it was rather visual. Mm-hmm. Um, but the track is going up for auction to charity. Right, for children in need. Um, yeah. I guess it is now on up for auction now. Yeah. Um, the wait, I gotta find it. Recently, though, a rare McLaren F1 car has become the most expensive British car ever sold, fetching a mere 8.8 million pounds. I'm gonna guess it's not their 2013 car. I'm, I'm guessing it's <laughs> not. Um, and the final go-kart of three-time world champion Ayrton Senna um, returned to the track recently after being fully restored and bought at an auction earlier this year. Okay. Last up was Pat Simmons from Williams mm-hmm. commented on the all the press and the hoorah over whether or not Botas is going to Ferrari and Ferrari's bid for Botas and says that that is disintegrating his team. And he's a little PO'd about the whole thing. Okay, this is why it's called Silly Season. Right there. And I am done. <laughs> well, you know, the last story I have, and, and it was breaking, it came out late Friday night we got this word. Um, actually, I think it kind of ties well into the Paul Hembry conversation that we had a little while ago in Pirelli and why you would even want to get involved in Formula One. Um, what was it, about a month, month and a half ago, uh, we had talked about that the FIA had opened up the application process for new teams for the 2016-2017 season. Mm-hmm. And as we found out late Friday, two teams submitted applications. And also, as we found out late on Friday, two teams were had their applications rejected. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they're, they're working on, you know, 100% here. Now, the FIA, they, they, they had this very stringent gui- set of guidelines that they were going and judging these— uh, these applications on now it turns out that it was a bit more than just three truckloads full of money preferably in big large denomination bills there was apparently more to it than that really yes um apparently they also assessed the technical ability and resources of the team the ability of the team to raise and maintain sufficient funding to allow participation in the championship at a competitive level i.e three truckloads full of money large denominations only Um, the team's experience and human resources and the value the candidate may bring to the championship as a whole. And I'll be honest with you, I can think of very few organizations that could score high on all of those that are not already in the sport. Because if you're already in the sport, you're making inroads in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, we don't know who the identities of the two teams are, what apparently has come out is that neither applicant was leading GP2 outfit ART Grand Prix or ART Grand Prix. I'm not sure whether it's ART or ART. Presumably because they were concerned that if they had applied and gotten accepted, they might have had to add an F to their name, thereby becoming oh. Fart Grand Prix. That, that, that was their concern. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. you know. Granted, we, there, there was for That's a year means, BARF1 as a team. So, you know. Hey. All things are possible. We needed teams like that. No. That would be source of never-ending entertainment for us on the show. And for us, but no. You you get annoyed by the fact that we have an animal rescue group here in the area that is called Barf. I don't get annoyed by that at all. I think it's hysterical. I think it's piss-poor marketing, but I think it's hysterical. (laughs) Hi, we're going to rescue animals that have been known to do exactly what we're about to call ourselves <laughs> all over your future carpet. <laughs> that's what that's why they downgrade the fact that they are there is a B in front of Animal Rescue Fund. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that about does it for the Formula One stuff that we have this week. So if you're only here for Formula One, this is your early dismissal. You can go off and do other things like, oh, I don't know, maybe like us over on the Facebook page. Oh, 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 I have an idea. Okay. 
it just so happens that we have become in possession from legal means mm-hmm. a signed autographed picture of Juan Miguel Juan somebody. Wow. Way to screw that up. (laughs) It would be Juan Pablo Montoya. Now, this was a picture that was taken a few years ago. However, Juan Pablo Montoya, he is a Formula Formula One driver. This was, I believe, uh, while he was still driving in NASCARs. Him taking Uh, the cup of one of the NASCAR sprint. It it was uh, actually uh, Watkins Glen. Excellent. But it is a signed framed picture of Juan Pablo in his Target NASCAR racing regalia. If you're not familiar, you should know Juan Pablo Montoya. This year, he was the winner of the Indy 500. Yes. Driving, I believe, for Chevy. Not positive on that. Yes. So because we have become owners, possessors, of such a lovely piece of racing memorabilia it actually is it's very nice though. it is actually very it's not very nice. sarcastic at all it, it is a really nice picture it's framed yeah it looks good yeah and if we weren't gonna actually well offer it as a prize i would be hanging it up in our house somewhere so mm-hmm. it is it, it is not cheesy however we currently do not have very many facebook fans of our page so we are willing to send it to our 100th fan. So there you go. If you are out there and you have not liked us, liked the Facebook page over at the Bloke and a Bird Show, do it. Fan number 100, we will reach out to you, and you can get yourself a signed picture. Juan Pablo Montoya. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that we have dismissed our F1 fan favorites? Well, you know, we have talked quite a bit about some of the items that are in our test lab, mm-hmm. the Bloken Abet Bird Test Lab. Um, one of which has been there for a while is the Wink Home Automation System. Yes. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Um, Wink is one of two big names right now when it comes to the home automation, the do-it-yourself home automation stuff. Right. Uh, Belkin's Wemo is the other one. Apple is trying to get in with their HomeKit system. Um, And actually, I should mention really quick, we talked about the Ecobee uh, a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. The Ecobee recently put out a revision. It's still called the Ecobee 3, but they revised the thermostat, and it is the only smart thermostat out there that is compatible with Apple's HomeKit. Oh. Um, now, the reason for th- the reason why they're the only one and why Apple's HomeKit is, has such low adoption is Apple requires a special chip in order to work with HomeKit, and Ecobee is the only one who's been willing to do that. Ah. Um, so I don't see much happening with that, but if you hear about HomeKit, that's what the deal is. The Wink system, we've had it now since what? January we put it in? December? Sometime around there, yeah. Um, It is a fairly large ecosystem, Mm -hmm. um, compatible with smart thermostats, although not the Ecobee, unfortunately. There's ways around that. Um, All of the the smart light bulbs that are out there by Philips, their Hue system. Mm -hmm. Um, GE has a wide selection of light bulbs out there now. Cree has a selection of light bulbs. Chamberlain makes a garage door opener. Yeah. Uh, compatible with it. Ream has a hot water heater that's compatible with it. Uh, Quirky released an air conditioner that's compatible with it. Uh, and there's now a kind of do-it-yourself home alarm sensor system. I don't know about that, but... Hey. Well, I mean, the concept between uh, around home automation is um, not just the control your lights because you want to change your living room to movie mode or Mm -hmm. sort of that was the original concept. Actually, I always think of the original idea as that confirmed bachelor that's got the woman over for dinner and he pushes the button on the wall and the lights go down and the gas fireplace goes on and the music starts up and, you know, suddenly Barry White's playing in the background. Yeah, that, that kind of. And, 
once you get past that, you can really get into how many parts of your home can you not just control with single button pushes, but when you're not home. Yeah. So there are the ability to not just set the old-fashioned timers on your lights where they came on at a certain time and went off at a certain time, but being able to put them on a schedule so it seems more random for home security, lights are going on in all parts of the house, and just as if you were at home. But also to make your home a little more aware of what you're doing and how you're doing, and in some cases to give you more insight into what's going on in your home. Correct. Um, one of the things that uh, Wink and, and Quirky have come out with, and Quirky through their partnership with GE, is of all things a tank sensor for your uh, propane tank on your barbecue grill, mm-hmm. giving you access right from your phone what your tank level is. It's basically a tank scale. Well, and the cool thing about that is that you're at the grocery store. Yep. And, oh, I think I want to grill. I mean, there's a great deal on steaks tonight. I think I want to grill. Do I have enough gas to get me through? Exactly. And whether or not you buy the steaks. I mean, it's remote <clears throat> access to those things. Um, with the right kind of, of um, setup, you can have a camera on your system take a picture of any person that turns off your alarm system. So that every time a particular door is opened or the alarm system is turned off, they can take a picture of that. So you know and alert you that somebody's come home. Well, not just the alarm system, but uh, Quickset has Quickset and Schlage both have a, a collection of door locks that integrate very nicely with Quirky. Uh, or not quirky, with uh, the Wink system, that you can remotely lock and unlock your doors, or again, if it detects that the door is unlocked, trigger another action. Mm-hmm. Th- there's all kinds of intelligence that you can program in, but even just to keep it simple. Okay. okay. If you just wanted to go with simple and you want to control your lights, you know, we have done on the exterior lights in our home, the, the wired timers to try and get it close to the sunset and make everything work the way it should and so that when it gets dark out, the exterior lights come on. Right. And we've never gotten it to work as well as we'd like. (laughs) We've tried. Never been able to. However, you can now turn around with, say, Wink and the GE or the Hue bulbs, screw those bulbs in within the app, make with two or three uh, presses of a button, assign those to a group, and quickly and easily, within about, oh, 45 seconds, set a week-long schedule that is adaptive enough that it knows, okay, sunset or sunrise, turn on, turn off. It's tracking those times. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to worry about uh, daylight savings time or any of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. You can set all that stuff within minutes, and then with your smartphone, turn around and say, hey, if I'm within three miles of my house— Turn a light on. Yeah. And it'll do stuff like that, too. You can do things like that. You can also... So we all have table lamps, going back to your... Keep Mm -hmm. it simple with lamps. We all have table lamps that may or may not be connected to switches on the wall. Mm -hmm. So you can set it so that if you turn on one switched application that it will then trigger the other lights in the room to come on. Right. We do that in our family room. We've got uh, the tapped smart switch installed for uh, a set of standard track lights that we have in in the room. Mm -hmm. And we've added to that group two floor lamps so that if the tap light gets turned on, those lights come on. Same thing if they turn them off. Right. So ultimately, we have added switch control to lights that don't have switches. or Right. So now one of the next things that that we're looking to do is uh, they've added a line of door sensors. Mm -hmm. So we are looking to turn around and add one of these door sensors and program it with some actions that if it triggers that a certain door is open for more than 15 minutes, it tells the air conditioner to turn off. Right. So that we remember to do that. We want to open the windows and open a door to get some fresh air in the house. I've... 
I'm really big on the idea of putting the door sensor on a door since we have a middle schooler that's coming home Mm -hmm. to then trigger the drop camera so we can see what he is doing while he is home. So those are all the great things you can do with the wing. And there are some very cool stuff that you can do with it. There are some downsides to it, as we have discovered over the the last few months of ownership. And, you know, this has been a long-term test in many cases for yeah. us. Um, the biggest one is that while, yes, it is a very smart system, the hub, and it requires a hub, hub that you put in, configuration is simple. Configuration is really easy. However... That hub is basically only a gateway to their service up in the cloud. Right. And the service is free. You're not paying extra for any of that stuff. But if for some reason your internet connection goes down or something happens to the hub or any of – somehow you just can't connect to their service, their service – and it's happened once. Their service goes down. All of those smart functions go away. Right. And they do not come back until that connectivity is restored. Is there a system out there that does not have that weakness? I don't know. The best I can say. I, I, I don't I, I don't know if the Wemo system is different. Now, what that means essentially is your things like the tap smart light switch that we have doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can turn on the regular lights. They will work normally. Your timers won't work. That's kind of frustrating. The other thing that we ran into kind of related to that, and we mentioned this back in the spring, um, if, say, Wink pushes out an update that is half-baked, yeah, they have bricked hubs before, and they bricked ours, mm-hmm. um, at which point you're out of luck unless there is a way you can either fix it yourself, and this they were supposed to be, and it didn't work for us, Or you've got to send them your hub and they send you a new one. Correct. Now, I will admit that they were very quick to try to solve that problem. They they were quick to own up to it. They were quick to do the turnarounds. They were quick to make it customer service-wise and tech support-wise when you need them. They are very good. The other thing that we have discovered, at least with Wink's partnership with Quirky, Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if this is a wink issue or this is a quirky issue. But quirky seems to be a little flaky when it comes to products. <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. Um, we have we, we were testing for them in the beta test. Their, um, Ascend. Uh, thank you. I didn't remember. I was thinking a lift, but that's not it. The, their Ascend garage door sensor. Mm-hmm. And it is exactly what it says it is. It detects when the garage door is open or closed. Um, it allows you to remotely trigger through the, the Wink system, through the app, opening and closing the door. And you can do other actions with it, which we have played with a little. We actually ordered the device. They delayed shipment. They allowed us to go and beta test it. And while we were beta testing it, after about four months, they came out and said, yeah, we don't think we're going to go forward with this. And they killed it on us. Yeah. Now, the device is still working. Mm-hmm. but we're seeing that this is becoming a bit of a trend with quirky, not so right. much with some of the other stuff. Um, they also had, we were watching for, we ordered back before the holidays, um, a smart sensor. Uh, it was supposed to detect moisture, you know, moisture sound, no- all of it. No, it was just a moisture sensor. I thought it was also mo- They have as a well. multi-sensor. Not anymore. Oh, really? Because that came out and was very popular from them. All of the quirky release sensors mm-hmm. are gone from their site. Really? Yes. Now, you still may be, may be able to find them in, in some of the um, third-party stores. Uh, I, I think they may still be appearing in Target and Amazon and Home Depot. But if you go to Wink.com, which is their website, those sensors are not there anymore. They have been completely pulled off. That I find to be a bit annoying. Now, all of the other third-party stuff, Lutron makes quite a few uh, pluggers, uh, or pluggers, um, smart plugs and smart switches that are very easy to install and and set up. We've got uh, a Leviton plug-in dimmer 
-hmm. that also works very well. Uh, there's a wide variety of options out there. And I think your best options are to look at the, the accessories that are put out by uh, GE, by Lutron, by anybody who's not quirky. Right. Is, I guess, the best way to throw it out there. I mean, that's true. I think that quirky has gotten so involved in inventing things mm -hmm. that they're not necessarily going to market with the things that I don't know how they're going to that next stage. And that's kind of frustrating. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. Um, what else do we have to say about home automation and our Wink system? Overall, we like it a lot. Um, other than the two minor issues that we've run into, we have actually slowly been uh, increasing our footprint with mm -hmm. the system. Uh, we do have one of the smart locks. Uh, we've got the Leviton dimmer that was the, the first light control that we used. Uh, and we've been slowly picking up the GE smart bulbs. So we've got several of those now. And like I said, the tap switch. Yeah. Um, the, pr the nice thing about it is the original way you could do this with the smart bulbs was through the, the Philips Hue system. That's the sexy, pretty stuff that Apple likes to tout. You can get in their stores. The problem with their system is that it is super expensive. Oh, yeah. Um, the starting price is 200 bucks for the kit. A single bulb, bulb is $16. Uh, by comparison, you can now pick up the GE link bulbs for $15 in a 16-watt or, or 60-watt equivalent, mm -hmm. um, which is not bad at all. No. Now, they don't change colors. They don't, and I'm okay with that. It works <laughs> for me. You know, 15 bucks for an LED bulb isn't bad. Um, Home Depot, I noticed this past week, was carrying a two-pack combination, uh, two of the GE Wink bulbs plus the small hub mm -hmm. for $48. Oh, that's not bad And that'll all. get you in at all. Uh, the large Wink hub is $50. Uh, also, they've got, we haven't played with it at all, the Wink Relay touchscreen touch screen controller. Um, basically, it takes the, uh, well, it does the same thing as the smartphone app. Right. But it puts it, You basically, you take over a light switch spot. Puts I think it on. you need a, a double. Yeah, you need a double wide spot, but it takes over one of the, the spots for a light switch. Mm-hmm. And um, allows you like to centrally control things. It also operates as the hub. Yes. So if you have the relay, you do not need the hub. That's what I know. But it's been an interesting road to try to increase home automation in our home. Um, and to do it in a very mindful way. I mean, yes, there's a lot of bells and whistles. And you could get caught up, Michael, um, on, on doing all sorts of crazy things. But you can also start, it's become kind of humorous in our house of the, I think I'd like to do, wait, what's the use case? Give well, yeah. me the use case for how we would use this. And it just so happened that even last week, um, Michael's like, I want to get more of those linked bulbs. And I'm like, okay, what's the use case for them? Where do you want to put them? What's the plan? And it just so happened that his idea was to put it in our upstairs hallway um, light so that we could turn not for necessarily controlling the light, but so we could turn down the intensity in the late night hours. Mm -hmm. um, as one of us is not quite ready to go to bed or something like that, we could do that and then have the light turn automatically off at midnight. Yeah, that's the thing I should mention is all of these smart bulbs are fully dimmer compatible. And you you don't necessarily need a dimmer to use those functions because of the fact that you're controlling it through the app. So even a floor lamp, where you normally wouldn't be able to dim it, you could now dim it with one of these smart bulbs. Mm -hmm. The other Which is downside great for watching a movie in our yeah. family room, being able to still have the lights on because Michael likes to have lights on when he watches movies. I don't. I can at least dim them down, and we get a happy medium. Now, the other thing I should mention that is a downside is that all of these smart controls are one hundred percent reliant on having access to a smartphone app. Correct. Um, so if somebody in the house forgets that you're controlling a light bulb through the app or through the Wink system and they flip the light switch, the bulb doesn't work until the light switch is turned back on. Because it doesn't have electricity that way. Yeah. <laughs> they all need their electricity. But it, but it is something to remember when you've got 
when you don't have a smart switch installed and somebody's flipping switches on you. And particularly when you have switches that are two pull switches, which is one of the things we have a lot of in this house. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not something that they support through these smart switches yet, which surprises me. Yeah, I, I foresee them coming quickly. At least make one so that it's a dummy. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that will start happening. With so again, all of that. Pretty cheap way to get yourself in a home into home automation. Um, check it out over at your local home improvement store or over at wink.com. And on that bombshell? You know, I think that's about it. Remember, we've got the Facebook contest going on now. The 100th fan will get yourself a prize. So make sure you go and find us over on Facebook and like the show. We want to hear from you. We want to see you. We want to know that you're out there. Um, remember, leave us a review over on iTunes or over in uh, Stitcher. And uh, on that note, we'll call it a show. Hey.